We certainly do appreciate your presence this morning, as has been expressed by Wayne. Glad to have visitors with us. Brother J.C. was mentioned, and he wanted me to make sure that I conveyed to you his appreciation for the cards that he's received and the prayers. And uh, as Wayne mentioned, we certainly pray that he'll be able to be home uh, very, very soon. Also, um, unless it's changed, Janice was noticing this morning on Facebook, I think, that the uh, village where the Evans are uh, is experiencing water issues and that they have been without water uh, for some time. And it's a, a pretty serious matter, obviously, when you're without water. So please remember Adam and Megan and their girls, that family in Tanzania, uh, in your prayers, that that situation will be relieved very soon and that uh, they can move forward in their work in a safe and good uh, manner. You know, um, it's always good to have plans, good to have goals, good to have direction in our lives and to know where we are going. This is still January. We are barely into the new year, really. And I thought it would be appropriate for us to discuss this morning some planning and some goal setting that really is important to this congregation. Goal setting is vital in every aspect of our lives, really, if you think about it. The great French surgeon, Nilaton, once said that if he had four minutes in which to perform an operation on which a life depended, he would take one minute to consider how best to do it. Four minutes is all you've got, and yet you'll take one minute to consider how best to do it? He said, yes, indeed. Plan ahead. Plan ahead. You know, it's been said it was not raining when Noah built the ark. It had not rained. So planning is important, and when we define plan, it is having a method or a system for the accomplishment of a purpose. A method or a system for the accomplishment of a purpose. When we look at uh, the word goal, and think of the word goal in its definition, the purpose toward which an endeavor is directed, that is an objective. That's an objective. We must plan effectively in order to reach the objective. It's been said by an anonymous author that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. You'll hit it every time. But we do need to have plans and goals. Too many people in our world see obstacles rather than objectives. We don't need to concentrate on obstacles because there are obstacles and they are a reality, but we need to focus on, on objectives. The objective needs to be identified initially. And then the plan needs to be formulated to facilitate reaching that objective. Think with me about the greatest plan that was ever set in motion. Think with me about God's plan of salvation that culminated in the sacrifice of Christ. Way back in Genesis 3.15, as we talked about this morning in Bible class, God said to Satan, who had taken the form of that serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise its heel. And so that plan was set in motion. 
and it culminated in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the business world, obviously, goals are set, plans are made. And there are many of you, no doubt, obviously, in this audience this morning who have been a part of that. I remember an elder at the congregation where I preached in Houston who was an executive with Dow Chemical who once told me his company always dealt with short-term and mid-term and long-range goals. And, of course, some of you who are here this morning have probably been familiar at some time with the so-called SMART goals that are associated with corporate America and the need for having goals, SMART goals. Here's the acronym. They need to be specific. They need to be measurable. They need to be attainable, relevant. Sometimes you'll see realistic, but that's really an overlap with attainable, I think. And then they need to be timely. They need to be timely. When we think about a specific goal versus something that's not specific in the secular realm, we might think about weight loss. And this is the time of year when a lot of people are thinking about weight loss in January as they begin a year. And so they say, my goal this year is to lose weight. That's not specific. It should be my goal is to lose 15 pounds this month or whatever one needs to lose. In other words, specific. Also measurable. I can keep track of how I'm doing in reaching my goals. Those goals need to be attainable, not unrealistic. In the secular realm, I'll have a million dollars before the month of January is out. That's totally unrealistic for most of us anyway. Relevant? I think in the spiritual realm, and we're going to talk about goals in the spiritual realm, obviously, today. That's our purpose. But when we think of relevance in terms of the spiritual realm in which we set goals and make plans, relevant would mean scriptural. In other words, the goals that we set for this congregation or for ourselves as individual Christians need to be scriptural goals, goals that are in harmony with God's will and that do not violate God's will. And timely, obviously, in the sense that we don't allow forever for those goals to be achieved. We have short-term, mid-range, and long-term goals. And so there are some elements of the SMART goals in the corporate world that certainly have some application to us. But when we think about goal setting again and look at it from a scriptural standpoint, we see that God is a goal setter. And God expects us to work toward a goal, obviously. We're reminded of that in passages like Hebrews 12 and verse 1, where the Hebrews writer says that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and let us, what? And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's an implication that a race is run toward a goal, obviously. You don't run a race, uh, uh, you know, willy-nilly. You run a race because you know that there is a finish line. There is a goal. And so the Hebrews writer tells us there is a finish line where the Christian race is concerned. And that analogy is used more than once. For example, it's used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 
through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race run all? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, he says, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Notice verse 26 again. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, but not as one who beats the air. I have an opponent. That opponent is Satan. I have a goal, and that goal is heaven. Again, the Apostle Paul reminds us of goal setting. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And there he reminds us, not that I have already attained concerning himself or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are ahead, I press toward the what? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, there's no question about the fact that indeed we are a goal-setting, or should be a goal-setting people. So think with me, with these texts as a background, think with me this morning about the Christian's goals. What should be the Christian's goals? And certainly the Christian's goals here relate to the corporate goals, if you will, of the corporate body, the body of Christ at White Oak. What are our goals? First of all, let me suggest that patience is an absolute essentiality for the Christian in his life. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. And by patience, the scripture means what? Being able to endure, being able to last, being able to withstand whatever may come. You are not deterred from the ultimate goal by whatever comes. To Timothy, in First Timothy, the epistle we're studying on Sunday nights now, at chapter 6 and verse 11 of that epistle, Paul admonishes Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things, that is, these evil things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, here it is, patience, gentleness. Patience, steadfastness, the ability to stand up under trial. Hebrews 6 and verse 12. There the Hebrews writer writing to a group of Christians that was in the process of being seduced to go back under that old law and the system of Judaism wrote this. 
that you do not become sluggish. Do not become sluggish, as the New King James renders it. But what? Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Patience is a critical virtue. Therefore, it should constantly be our goal to maintain patience and to become even stronger, even more steadfast as we mature in Christ. Remember what James wrote in the context of counting it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. Verse 4, he says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Determination to stand fast, to withstand the trials, to withstand the disappointments, to withstand the discouragements, to withstand the sorrows, to withstand the losses, whatever it may be. There's a beautiful illustration of that kind of determination that I ran across just recently about a man by the name of John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. John Stephen Aquari was a marathon runner in the 1968 Olympic Games at Mexico City. And in that marathon, he finished last. And that's an understatement. He finished not only last, but about an hour or so after the last participant had crossed the finish line, John Equare crossed the finish line then. And there were only a few spectators still in the stands when he crossed the finish line. What had happened? He had become injured during the race. And his leg that was injured and bloodied and bandaged, he hobbled virtually stumbled into the stadium and crossed that finish line. And when he was asked, why? Why did you do that? He said, I did it because my country did not send me here to start the race. They sent me here to finish. Patience. Determination. Willingness to stand. That's one of the Christian's goals. And it is a vitally important one. But then there's perfection. And by perfection, you know that I do not mean that we are to think that we can become sinless individuals. Though certainly God is the sinless standard toward which we are to strive. Matthew 5.48 Be therefore perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, perfect there in relation to God is used in the absolute sense because He is perfect in the absolute sense. But we are to be perfect in the relative sense in that we are to reach a stage of spiritual maturity. And that's the idea of perfection as a Christian goal. That we are to become mature. That we do not have to be babied when we've been members of the Lord's body for any length of time. But we can baby others who may be babes in Christ and who may need that more attention. You remember I've talked about before the three stages of Christian development. The please help me stage for the new Christian. 
I need your help. I'm a babe in Christ. I may need more encouragement. Then you move through the maturation process as you reach toward that perfection, meaning wholeness or completeness. You reach that I can help myself stage. In other words, you don't have to be quite as concerned about me as you perhaps once did because I have grown, I have studied, I have matured. And yet we have said many times, many in the church seem to think that's where it ends, that there are only two stages and yet there are three. And by missing the third, we miss Christianity. Because the third stage is, now let me help you. Now let me help you. That's where the real joy is found. And that's where the maturation process reaches, really, its peak. Let me help you. In Colossians 1, verse 28, and the ones missing there, notice, Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul says, ultimately, we're to be presented. Presented to the Lord on the day of judgment. How are we to be presented? Paul says, I'm preaching and warning and teaching so that the presentation will be a presentation of perfection, that is, mature Christianity, because that is the goal that every Christian should have. And, of course, finally, the ultimate goal is paradise. Every Christian should never lose sight of that goal, of being in the paradise that is the intermediary stage between here and heaven itself and then the ultimate paradise garden, heaven itself. And Jesus, through John, speaks of it in the Revelation letter at chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's the ultimate goal of the Christian. And when the ultimate goal of the Christian is reached, then the goal achieved will be when we hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. As that wonderful approbation is depicted in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Oh yes, God is a goal setter. God is a goal setter through the word he has revealed. Therefore, we should also be setting goals for ourselves as Christians and implementing plans to reach them as Christians. What about a a specific versus a generic command? Rather than weight loss, what about Bible study? I'm going to study my Bible more this year. That's too generic. That's not... A smart goal, because it's not specific. I'm going to study X number of hours per week and set a number on it. I'm going to read and study X number of chapters per week. I'm going to read through the entire Bible 
this year, etc. Those are more specific goals. As a congregation, we want to grow this year. That's too generic. We need to implement plans, specific plans that will facilitate that growth. What will they be? And what is the preacher's part in helping the individual member and the congregation as a whole reach these goals? I've been privileged to fill this pulpit for uh, seven years or so. We'll do so, the Lord willing, until the end of this year when a younger man with a family, as I retire from local work, comes in here to carry on this work and we trust a very effective manner. When he does, he must keep the goals before the people. He must plan his sermons specifically to help members meet those goals. Tom Holland, one of our greatest preachers who is still preaching even at the advanced age of 80-something, maybe getting close to 90 now. Tom, in his chapter, What Shall I Preach?, on page 27 of his book, Sermon Design and Delivery, suggests the following, and I think it's certainly valuable for preachers to know this, but I think it's valuable for members of the church to know, so that they know that they're getting what they should be getting, hopefully, at least according to Tom, from their preacher. They need sermons on first principles. The congregation needs to hear about the inspiration of the scriptures, the proper division of God's word, authority and religion, the true church, God's plan for religious unity, the evils of denominationalism, baptism, its design, its action, its subjects, apostasy, scriptural worship, the plan of salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit, salvation by grace through faith. Those are sermons on first principles. Tom also suggests sermons on Christian living, responsibility, an epitome of Christianity, Titus 2, 11 through 14. We've preached on that text. The positive and negative aspects of pure religion, forsaking the assembly, giving, we taught on it a week or so ago, personal evangelism, control of the tongue, keeping your heart, prayer, the Lord's Supper, major problems in personal purity. And then what about sermons on Christian living? Joy and peace and hope. The blessings of believing, being anxious for nothing, letting the peace of God rule in your hearts, being full of joy, 1 John 1 and verse 4. The abundant entrance, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 12. The power to purify, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Heaven, sermons on heaven as the home of the soul. Romans eight twenty eight. all things working together for good to those who love the Lord. The anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. The relationship of the Christian to sin, Romans 6. And what about eschatological sermons? That is, sermons concerning final events. The second coming of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. The fact that the kingdom and the church are one and the same, as we have often discussed. Premillennialism. Death is an appointment. The resurrection of the dead. Heaven and hell and the judgment. Tom Holland goes on to write that the preacher must preach to meet needs of people. And to do this, he needs to plan his entire program of sermons much the way a military leader maps his strategy for storming an enemy stronghold. Because that's what we are doing. We are storming an enemy stronghold. Who's the enemy? Satan. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Sermon planning ahead of time helps maintain balance. 
and it aids in sermon preparation for the preacher because he knows well in advance what his topics will be. If I live long enough to finish this year, I already know, and they can't, there may be some changes because of circumstances and so forth, what each sermon, until I leave White Oak this year, will be. And I've done that this year. Obviously, changes can be made when certain needs arise. But preachers, and your next preacher, as I'm sure he will, because you'll hire just the right man to do it, will take seriously those admonitions and suggestions from our brother Tom Holland about preachers. Normally, we would ask, how can the elders of the church help in goal setting and implementation of those goals? But we do not at the present time have elders. We hope and pray that will change in the future. But how can the men then, how can the men of the congregation who must take the lead now, how can they help in goal setting and the implementation of those goals? They have to take the lead in identifying goals for the congregation. We have a men's meeting February 4th. I would strongly suggest that every man plan to attend, if at all possible, but prior to attending, that you think in terms of specific Goals, goals in harmony with the principles we've talked about here this morning. Goals for the White Oak Church that will help us to achieve what our short-term, mid-range, and long-term goals are. And then lead in implementing the goals. And those who are not men, between now and February 4th, you ladies, think about those goals that you'd like to see implemented and pass those suggestions along prior to that meeting. And the men should ask for that input of the congregation as to what they think the goals for the church should be. Short term, one year. Mid term, five years. Long term, ten years, let's say. And the implementation of the goals needs to be overseen by these men who assign the carrying out of the goals to certain individuals who will report on their progress. Planning sessions annually, preferably in September, to allow time for discussion and announcement to the congregation of the goals that have been set before the announcement or before the first of the next year. That would be certainly appropriate. Do we have obstacles in terms of reaching goals that we might think about and like to see implemented? Of course we do. But let me ask you to think about something as we go back to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And add verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us endure or run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Think about those last words. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. What did Jesus overcome to reach his goal? born to poor parents, 
His life was threatened as a baby. His birth was the cause of terrible suffering when Herod slaughtered those babies, trying to get to him. He was raised in a despicable town, Nazareth. His father died when he was young. He was homeless. He was hated and opposed by others. He was charged with insanity. He was charged with demon possession. He was opposed by his own family. He was rejected, hated, and opposed by the audiences who came to hear him speak. He was betrayed by a close friend. He was left alone, rejected, and forsaken by all of his friends. He was illegally and unjustly tried before the Jewish leaders and then Pilate. He was executed as a common criminal by means of crucifixion. And despite all of that, he reached his goal. And in his prayer to the Father, not long before that betrayal, he said, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. As the Hebrews writer reminds us, if we'll look to him, we can finish ours as well. But you can't finish what you haven't begun. And if you haven't begun the Christian walk, you cannot reach your Christian goals. And so we plead with you to become a Christian this morning by a belief in Jesus as the Christ that leads you to repent of your sins, confess Him, and then to be buried with Him in baptism. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And if you've done those things, but you know you have not kept your eye on the goal, that you have not been focused, and that that lack of focus has actually led to reproach being brought upon the church and sin in your life that needs to be repented of in a public way, we plead with you to do that. For all who need no public repentance, let us determine, however, that this year, this year will be a year where we set specific goals, work with God's help to implement and to achieve them. As we stand to sing, will you come?